to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it? Welcome. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca, and you're listening to AM 1510, Yahoo Sports Radio, Boston. For more information, check out my website, talkwithfrancesca.com. And if you want my weekly truth serum, you can simply sign up by going to my website. Or you can also send me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com with questions or comments. I love, love, love to hear from you, as always. You can also find me on Facebook, where you can send me questions if you'd like to chime in. All right, let's just dive right in. How do people make decisions, and why do they make bad ones? This is Dan Arales, a professor of psychology at Duke University's field of expertise. Do you know why we sometimes find ourselves excited about buying things we don't really need? I would personally love to know why I go to Christmas tree shops, spend the money, and then throw it away six months later. But anyway, we'll, we'll hold that question for a few minutes. I call it actually mindful meditation. Um, and when you get something free, you probably don't place as much value on it. Do you have any idea why? Do you know why we still have a headache after taking a cheap aspirin, but why that same headache vanishes when the aspirin costs more? I'm just going to keep going with a couple more questions. Do you know why people who have been asked to recall the Ten Commandments tend to be more honest, at least immediately afterwards, than those who haven't? Or why honor codes actually do reduce dishonesty in the workplace? Well, we all make decisions every day, ranging from what we should make for dinner to what purpose our life has. And you would think that we approach all of them rationally and logically, but you're wrong. Irrational behavior is part of human nature, but as Dan Airely has discovered in 20 years of research, people tend to behave irrationally in a relatively predictable way. He is the author of Predictably Irrational and the Honest Truth About Dishonesty, and he's here with us today to discuss those questions and more. So by the end of this hour, you might just have the answers to many questions that have implications for your personal life, your business life, and for the way you look at the world. So don't be irrational. Don't touch that dial. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us today on Talk with Francesca. My pleasure. So let's just start with a brief thumbnail, thumbnail sketch of why you started with the research. And part B of that question is, what was the most surprising findings, Dan? So, so I started looking at uh, irrational behavior because of personal interest. So as, as you know, I was badly burned when I was 18, and I spent about three years in hospital. I was burned in about 70% of my body, and everybody gets small burns, and these usually go away, but, but severe and deep burns are a very, very different story. And I noticed lots of things in hospital that uh, made me puzzle, but the thing that troubled me the most every day was the question of how you remove bandages from burn patients. Mm -hmm. And the, the question, you can think of it in, in one way, is do you uh, remove the bandages quickly, trying to minimize the time, but every second is going to be very painful, or do you take the bandages off slowly, take oh. a long time? Oh, that's, I, I got a visual going. What do yeah. you think, listeners? Right, all I can envision is waxing. Ouch. That's right. Right. So, so many women think about waxing, and yeah. it, it turns out it's <laughs> okay. A, good. It's it's the wrong metaphor because uh, waxing deals with hair, and hair has a very different dynamic. So, when you wax hair, the piece just comes out with actually creating less damage. 
but when it's skin, it adheres to the, the bandage adheres to the skin all over, the, the solution is different. And then it turns out that the quick ripping approach is a bad approach. Now, my nurses, I think they had intuition based on waxing, but they thought that the right approach is the quick ripping approach, but it turns out they were wrong. And the way I know they were wrong, because when I left the hospital three years later, I started doing experiments on this. So I would bring people to the lab and I would hurt them to, for different durations and different intensities. And I would try and figure out empirically what makes people suffer more and suffer less. And it turns out that the nurse was just empirically wrong. Um, and and this kind of made me wonder. I went back. I talked to the nurses about this. And <laughs> one of my, my favorite nurse, uh, she said, first of all, she said was that I did not think about her pain. She said, what about her? She was there removing my bandages. This was no picnic for her either. Maybe she was just trying to get out of there. But well, we, well, so was she, uh, well, let me just. No, no, no. She was okay. not serious. She was, but, okay. Okay. You answered. But, you read but, my mind. <laughs> yeah. No, she, she basically said, you know, maybe it was an unconscious yeah. influence of her personal desire because, you know, the nurses in the burn department, I have to say, have a really tough job. It is, it is terrible yes. to cause such torture to people who are just screaming and shouting when, when they do this to them. Um, by the way, things have gotten much better. Uh, narcotics have gone much better. And uh, these days, sometimes they take people with my level of injury and just knock them out for the first nine months of their, oh. like, just basically put them to sleep for, for all that duration so they don't are not aware of anything. So this is uh, actually how you started to get involved in this, this research. That's right. And and I started, so, so the first thing was with, you know, this nurse, she said, oh, you, you, maybe it was for my, but then I said, why don't you just try it my way? And the way she said it was actually very informative for me. She said every day she had a choice. She could do what she was taught, which is the quick ripping approach, which she thought was good for her, the quick ripping approach, which she thought was good for me, the quick ripping approach, or she could try something different, something she had no idea about, but her gut intuition was telling her that the quick ripping approach was the right way. But here's the thing. Uh, her gut intuition was wrong. And the gut intuitions of all the nurses are wrong. And, and this idea became very important for me. Is What if we have strong gut intuitions about things we have no data about? Mm -hmm. And the gut intuition is so powerful that we never try anything else. And from that point on, I started looking at all kinds of cases in which we think we know what the right answer but we don't, and we make the wrong decision time after time after time. And I, I don't look as much at pain anymore. I look at things like how do we make decisions about saving and spending and how we make decisions about honesty and who we deal with and trust and all kinds of other things. But the, the basic principle is this question of under what conditions do we have good intuitions and under what conditions are intuitions just faulty? Let's figure out empirically, scientifically, and then let's use that to make better decisions. It's interesting because, I, you know, I've always thought for the longest time it's that gut instinct that we so often talk about. And are you saying that a gut instinct possibly could be wrong? Uh, absolutely. And many, many times. So if you think about gut intuition, you could say, under what conditions could your gut know something? Well, you would have to do something many times. You would have to do them in different ways every time. So you, you have a variance. You have sometimes to succeed, sometimes to fail. And you would have to get immediate quick feedback about that. Mm -hmm. So think about something like dating. Oh, I was, well, I actually <laughs> just was because I used to, many moons ago, own a dating service. And it made me think about when p people would call and say, oh, I had a great time. And, oh, I had butterflies. Oh, I can't eat. Well, 
that's not necessarily positive, right? If you can't eat, and there's that feeling of supposedly love, but you can also, yeah. right? Right? So, yeah, so, yeah. So, so think about gut intuition. Uh, you meet somebody from, for coffee mm-hmm. for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and, and based on that, you have a gut intuition. Now, it's very powerful, so it's hard to ignore, but is it accurate? You know, personally, I think I'm the kind of person who grow on people over time. I think that, <laughs> you know, immediately... Well, you like, are you know, very funny. <laughs> thank you. But, but, you know, I think that, you know, there's some people who do well in bars, right? Some right. people who just are immediately handsome and charming and so on. Right. But I think most people are not like that. Most people kind of, it, it takes some time to get to know us, to, to care, to understand what we are. Some A little bit quirky, a, a little bit strange. Now... Those people are not necessarily going to be making good first impression, but but what you want with somebody you're going to stay with for a long time is not just the first impression. You want to think about what it is that would sustain a deep uh, emotion of caring and camaraderie and uh, love and romantic attraction. Well, um, absolutely, and also when you first meet someone, they can be very nervous, and so they may not be yeah. at their <clears throat> their best. Yeah, but even if they're not nervous, uh, what do you know about them? Exactly. You know something very, very superficial. So, so it's very hard to meet somebody for five minutes and not feel that I have a gut feeling and that my gut feeling is informative. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually not. And, you know, th- th- it's very hard to study this because it's really about the long term and it's really hard to force people to be together long term. But we have two um, kind of things that we do this. One is arranged marriages in India. So there's a study about arranged marriages in India looking at arranged marriages compared to what's called love marriages. And what they show is that the people with love marriages start much happier than the people with the arranged marriages, but the people with love marriages go down over time, and the people with the arranged marriages go up Now, why over would that time. be? <clears throat> so the thing is that the people who are marrying over love, they, they, they capture something essential that is important for the short term. But the people that get married in arranged marriages, their families are helping them. And their families are not thinking short-term, they're thinking long-term. And by the way, there's a crossover in year three. <laughs> so after year three, the arranged marriages, people are, are happier. There's another example in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S., the only time when we force people to be together is either in the military, of course, or in college dormitories. And, and many undergrads report that when they first met the college roommate, this was not their favorite person in the world, but they became lifelong friends afterward. And those are kind of few examples to show you that what makes somebody valuable in your life mm-hmm. uh, is not necessarily the thing that you catch on immediately. I'll, I'll give you one more thing about dating we did. So, um. You know, if you think about dating sites, dating sites describe people in the same way that we describe uh, nutritional information, height and weight and, uh, you know, religious affiliation and uh, do you have a sense of humor and so on. And the question is, is this kind of description helps us to make better decisions about whether we would like the other people or not? So we went to people and we say, please give us a list of people you really love and a list of people you like so-so. Not hate, but just not the same. Right. And we went to these people and we asked them to fill their information as if it's an online dating website, without a picture and without their name. And then we said, okay, let's take this list of people, half of them people they love, half not, back to the person who originally gave us the list, and let's see if they can sort them into people they like or not like. And and they couldn't. Why? Because if you think about it, you take all the people that you really love, 
what would it be on their online dating site, website, uh, information that would tell you that you love them? What, what would be? Would it be the eye color? Would it be the height, the weight, the political affiliation, right? None of those things really explain to us um, what eventually make us uh, lifelong friends of people. Um, I don't know about you, but if I look at my best friends, like the biggest group is from first grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and this was in Israel, but, but really a, lo- a long time ago. And I, th- these are people that I have tremendous loyalty and care and affection, and we meet every time. And it's, you know, we're not, we don't feel like first grade, but we do go back in age. And it's hard to imagine that there's something about them that would be described in an online dating website or in any kind of, uh, on Facebook, that I would say, yes, this is the kind of person I would right, like to right. uh, to be a lifelong friend with. So, so we are, the, the things that get us to be, love people over the long time are not necessarily the things that we see in our, in our gut intuition. And then there's lots of other examples, of course, but I think dating is kind of a good one because we just have such good, such strong, Mis, uh, miscalibrated gut feeling. Oh, absolutely. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I'm speaking with Dan Arley, who is a professor of psychology at Duke University. Um, I've, got, I've got a question that I've always been very curious about, so I, I can't help but have to ask you this. Why the heck do we care so much about what other people think of us? I mean, it really, it seems our very nature, we're wired to to kind of compare, and I've always been very, very curious about that. I'd like to think that other people's um, feelings about me is really none of my business, but I I have to admit that I do care about what other people think, and and, um, and I think most people do. Yeah, it's very hard not to, and and for for multiple uh, reasons. So, first of all, it turns out that across all of human activity, we are very much attuned to relative rather than absolute performance. And you can think about something physiological like light. If you're uh, in the sunlight versus in a room that is, you know, lit by a light bulb, the the absolute amount of light is unbelievably high, like maybe a hundred thousand times more light outside than in, inside. But but you your system basically adjusts to that, and you just look at relative changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, now we're white onto something, paper. listeners. Listen close. <laughs> so, so we do that. So, so our, our system in general, our brain, it ha- takes, extracts lots of relative information. We mm-hmm. do it for light. Mm-hmm. We do it for weight. And one of we the do relative things. the stock things, market, the yeah, new yeah. norm, right? Yeah. 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 And, and one of the things is to basically see where we stand compared to other people. And, and it's a very natural thing. I, I can ask you, how successful are you in life? And you could say, I don't know what it means, right? What does it mean to be successful? Is it how long I'm going to live? I mean, I don't know. But let me look at the people around me, and that would give me a yardstick to evaluate how successful I am. Yeah, but I, I, I tend to look at the people who are more successful than me rather than less. Yes, and that's and that's not a good thing, right? Well, because no, that, because that would... then I never feel like I, you know, uh, I feel like I always have further to go. That's you know, right. and so I try to compete with myself, but I can't help inevitably. There is a little bit of that competitive nature in me. That's right. So, so you know, looking looking at uh, women's magazine at mm-hmm. all, only the the most beautiful women is is you know it's motivating to some degree. Uh, but also disheartening because you don't feel that you've arrived. So right. there's an there's a in, interesting, delicate balance there. But 
but we have a very hard time uh, not not comparing ourselves. And then, of course, there are some things where comparison is is real. So think about something um, like schools. If you want to send your kids to good schools, you basically want to go to a place that has a high real estate taxes, because real estate taxes in most places are the things that fund public schools. So what you, you, what you want to do is you want to buy a house that is better than other people so you can send your kids to a better school. So there are some cases in which the competition is actually a real competition. Like, you know, you can mm-hmm. say... Mm-hmm. Um, like you can have okay, a bigger car than you, a bigger car or a bigger house. That's like um, everybody can, can do that. I mean, of course, it's, you, it's, it's expensive and time-consuming and so on. But schools have a limited uh, size. They are right. limited in resources. And now the competition is actually very, very meaningful. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a funny example for this. Um, I have my kids are 11 and 7. And a few years ago, we realized that the birthday parties for kids were just getting out of hand. So, you know, there was one parent who was doing a birthday cake, and then the other one had a clown, and the other one had a birthday cake and a clown, and sushi for the adults, and the next one had clowns, this, this, and something else. And just, you know, everybody just wanted to up everybody else. Now, the kids, in reality, just wanted cake and to run around a little bit. But there was this competition that basically escalated these uh, birthday parties out of hand, and, and that's a natural human tendency. We just want to be as good, if not better, than other people, and we're willing to lose lots of money for this privilege. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because I, people, I, feel, I you know, I hate to admit such a thing, but um, and I, I don't believe I am one of them, but I do believe that there are people who out there who are secretly smug and kind of delighted when people of all things perfect and unattainable enter the world of all, of all things that pretty much suck. You know, it's sort of like there was a, a guy I interviewed uh, a while back who wrote a, a book called Why People Love a Good Train Wreck. And um, and it, it's it's a terrible thing, but I mean, it, it does seem that people do have take some joy in in that, and I find that unsettling and, and wondering what why that would be. So I mean, a misery so, loves so I think, company, I suppose, right? Right. So, so I think there's a couple of versions of this. So if you look at the car accidents, mm. well, car yeah, accidents right. that, yeah. that we can't help but but look when it happens and we slow down and the whole traffic slow, stops down. This I don't think people are, I don't think anybody is really happy when somebody right, else is, right. is in a car accident. Right. But I think it, it is educational in the sense that it does help us um, learn something about the world. Right? We, we learn how cars flip over and what is dangerous and what can happen to a car if it crashes. And I think it's this curiosity. And curiosity, by the way, is a very interesting urge. Uh, so when I was 12, my mother had this really amazing approach to how to raise us. Okay, so 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 now I'm guessing you're thinking about your mo- my mother. Right. Uh, I don't have anything to say about my mother. I mean, she's a great woman. I just made this up. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I actually have questions coming through like <laughs> like crazy here, and I'm trying before our break to see if I can get something. Um, yeah, but so, the thing so- the thing is that curiosity, your curiosity has just picked up. About my mother, right? It will be very hard for you not to think about my mother for the rest of the show. Right. <laughs> so curiosity is a very, very strong uh, human motivator. And then sometimes we want other people to put, to put other people down because we want to feel relatively more 
successful. So it's really nice, I think, when yeah. celebrities have a terrible life, so you don't have to feel bad about it. You can say, oh, I'm, I'm not as bad. My life is... Is, is quite good in comparison. Just a, a total side note here. You've got a lot of people reading your book. I actually happen to be one of them. And um, But I'm curious, is it ever hard for you to stop analyzing and just kind of relax? Uh, and or, or do you find yourself that you just sort of can't help it? It's become part of your DNA. Yeah, it's... It's, uh, it's part of your DNA, it's, yeah. It's, 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 co- it's continuous. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Interesting. It's, it's, it's become part of you, so that's cool. And and it's wonderful and it's difficult. And actually, it's kind of interesting how uh, other people who know me now <laughs> react to me. <laughs> they uh, and you know I do I do lots of little experiments and uh, people always think that there, um, there's some experiments going on on them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Dan, what about the great law of human? Um, you know, sort of attraction. Um, you know that in order to in order to make a man want you, you just necessarily have to be difficult to attain, or vice versa. It can be the other way around as well. Yeah. Um, before we take a little break, let's, let's, I'm curious about that one. Yeah, absolutely. So this goes back to what's a very well-known phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. And cognitive dissonance is the idea that we don't really know what we like and don't like. And we look at the effort that we put into something as an indication of that. So if I get you to work very hard for something, you later look at yourself and you say, why did I work so hard for something? And then you say, oh, it must be because I love this person, I love this house, I love this so much. And therefore, we are easily conv- it's easy for us to convince ourselves that putting effort into something indicates great love. And therefore, playing hard to get is a good strategy. Okay. All right. Well, we've got more stuff to talk about, but have to take a short break. Um, I'd like, I've got a bunch of questions um, actually coming in through Facebook. I'd like to address those. And then I'd like to talk about, hopefully, if we have time, why we lie and cheat, eat chocolate, and do things with horrendous consequences. So uh, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You can be amazing. You can turn a phrase into a weapon or a drug. You can be the outcast to be the backlash of some. Hi, I'm Donna McGovern, and I'm a real estate agent working in the Remax on the River office in the beautiful coastal town of Newburyport. I enjoy working with clients on the North Shore and in the Merrimack Valley areas. One of my specialties is I have an eco-broker certification, meaning I have a deep interest in protecting our environment and in energy efficiencies and cost-saving ideas. Buying and selling a home I know is an investment of which one must take seriously, but I also think it's important to have fun along the way. I found that the most successful transactions have been based on mutual trust and respect between all involved parties. I hope you take the time to give me a call so we can set up an appointment to meet and I can provide some information on how to have a positive and successful home buying and home selling experience. The number to reach me is 978-992-4535. That's 978-992-4535. If I were your real estate agent, you'd be home now. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617 723 
1-800-273-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Less than 4.4 seconds. That's how long you have to convince your potential customers to stay on your website before they go elsewhere. With so much competition on the web, it's hard enough to get your market's attention. The only thing harder is keeping it. Web developer and marketer April Ann Francis makes it easy to do both. Boost your business with responsive blogs, social media marketing, WordPress design, custom Facebook pages, e-commerce, Google+, search engine, and mobile presence. Training available. Visit AprilAnnFrancis.com, email April at AprilAnnFrancis.com, or call 413-320-9233. That's 413-320-9233. Need to refresh and renew after a long winter? Your home may need that too. Shed the cabin fever feeling your home has and bring that spring feel in. Professional interior designer Sue Rilovic of the Tristan Design Group will bring her 30 years of experience, expertise, and advice to your home. Call to schedule an affordable in-home consultation now, address your concerns, or let Sue's ideas flow and see where it can take your home. 603-285-3924. 603-285-3924. The Tristan Design Group your home of the future. Inconsistent academic skills. He was very disorganized. He suffered from anxiety. He had very low frustration tolerance, OCD types of behaviors. It's very hard to hear that your your child has something not right with them and to not know what you can do. At Brain Balance, we tackle your child's learning behavioral or developmental challenge head on by addressing the root cause, not just the symptoms. We integrate cognitive, sensory motor, and nutritional training into a customized drug-free program that provides lasting results. He's very proud now when he accomplishes things, and I feel like there's a sense of hope. He used to say, there's something wrong with my head, and now he just... His head works. (laughs) Find out how Brain Balance can help your child reach their full potential. Brain Balance Achievement Centers, where every kid connects with success. Are you looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you'll want to dine at Terramia's. This North End Italian restaurant provides a simply divine culinary experience and, as quoted in Zagat's restaurant guide, pastas without compare. And it's reasonably priced. This North End gem will keep you coming back. Terramia is simply the best Italian restaurant in all of Boston. Call 617-523-3112, 617-523-3112, or terramiarestaurante.com. Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca every Saturday morning right here on 1510 Yahoo Sports Radio Boston. Okay, we're back with Dan Airely, professor of psychology and the author of Predictably Irrational and The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Welcome back, Dan. My pleasure. All right, I wanted to ask you, I I do want to know why we're so dishonest, but I do want to address some of the questions that we've got that's been coming through. Is is what can you um, say about superstition? Someone who is not putting their name but wants to know what you make of superstition. So I'm curious about that, too. So that's that's a good start one. So superstition is an interesting uh, human psychology, Mm -hmm. and it's really about the fact that we are looking all the time for logic in what's going on around us. So you know how at the end of each day there are these people on tea? 
Yeah, at the end of each day, there are these people on TV that tell you what the stock market did today. And they tell you a story about why this is exactly as what, they, what they thought, and they analyze it. And we did a study in which we gave people that information, and we gave them the opposite information, and they found all of it that convincing. So IBM stock went up because IBM bought stocks. Oh, yes, that sounds reasonable because they sold stock. Oh, yes, that sounds reasonable. We're looking for explanations all the time. Our brain is trying to make sense of the world. Now, here's everything, what happened. And not just with, with everything, right? With everything. With everything. Yeah. You're personally always trying to have come up with a story. That's right. And, what our, is, the stories, right? And, and the stories that we tell are deterministic and not random. So it's not as if we say, oh, there's 75% chance that this will happen. We're looking for stories that says X causes Y. So now imagine you're a baseball player and you play baseball and you did not change your underwear for two days and things worked out well for you. What what do you say? Do you say I have no idea what? I can start wearing dirty underwear to play baseball. Right. Oh jeez. So so superstition is all about the fact that something happens in proximity to something else, and we attribute it to this. I'll give you one probably the worst example, uh, kind of in in what we're doing right now is lots of people stop immunizing their kids. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens: from time to time, kid kids get sick, and it's a terrible thing that happened. And from time to time, kids get sick after they got immunized. And it's impossible for parents to say, well, the kid just got sick or something happened. Instead, they say it must be the immunization that caused it. Mm. (laughs) And they make this causal relationship with something that is not causal, but it's almost impossible. I think of myself, right? If my kids got sick, it would be very hard not to blame something concrete and specific that happened differently in their lives. And... even with everything we know about immunization. So we have this desire to explain the world in, right. simply, in simple deterministic terms, and that creates superstition. So very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, we could do something two or three times, and you know, something can be just random, but nevertheless, we take this very seriously, and we start behaving this way. Well, I have to admit, I am a hair superstitious. As a matter of fact, I um, bought some allergy medicine today before I came to the station, and uh, the change came through one of these little, I don't know what to call them, but they, they, they're they not handed to you, they're hand, they're in a little little pot there. And there were two pennies left, and one had the head upside, upside oh. down, and one had the head up. I took the one with the head up, I wasn't interested in the one that, oh. <laughs> that was down. That's because, good to know. Because, and I actually have a, a sort of a crazy thing that happened to me years ago. I was um, renting a um, art studio, and I looked at I, somehow or another. I glanced down at the floor, and there was a penny with the head down. And I said to myself, "Oh no, that's not a good sign." But I love this art studio. I've got to rent it. I've just got to do it. And I did it. Well, you know what? I wasn't there three months. There was one bad thing happening after the next. There was tar dripping down from the ceiling. Oh, it was just one thing after the next. I finally moved out. And just before I moved out, it turned out that the the building went, you know, kaput. Uh-huh. So anyway, so I'll be. Damned if I'm touching a penny with the head down. There you go. Head, you okay, go. And, and you know what? My listeners might think I'm crazy, but anyway. All right, so I've got some. I've got a couple questions coming through. Rebecca from Haverhill would like to know, oh, boy, I can't stand these cable companies' tactics, but they must, <laughs> but they must be accomplishing their goal. How do, you, how do they get us to spend so much for so little? That's a good one. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> well, so they get some damn good marketing people, right? Uh, yeah. There's, so there's all kinds of things that they do. So one thing, of course, 
is that they really don't have uh, open open competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second thing is that they use wonderful, amazing tricks. Um, for example, we, when I lived in Boston, there was an ad for their local cable company that says free cable. Um, and when you read the little print, it turns out it's not the little the 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 real deal. It wasn't free. And what happened was, if you got installed the standard cable, and you agreed to pay them for two years, of course, they would pay you the difference between the silver level and the gold level back for one month. So you know, for for seventy eight dollars, you could get uh, the upgrade for twenty dollars for free. I mean, so so they're using lots of tricks. And then of course, there's switching cost because. You know, it's really, really tough. So I, I tried to disconnect our cable uh, not too long ago. <laughs> and first of all, it's incredibly tough. You have to call lots of people. You oh, have to have I lots of know. Time. It's like, you know, yeah. not and my then, monkey, not my problem, you know? That's right. And then on top of that, you have to take your devices and give it back to them in their uh, in their office, which is somewhere far away. Or so, you will end up having to have a, an extraordinary amount of money yeah. taken from you, right? I know. That's right. I, so it, they, it, it is. They are, they, this guy's a criminal. This is white collar. This is called white collar crime, and we'll get into you know, that, this too. Is, this <laughs> is, um, you know, look, um, I, I think that what they're doing is they are under the heading of maximizing shareholder value. And under the heading of maximizing shareholder value, they are justifying lots of things that I think are very, very hard to justify in terms of thinking about the, the benefit of their consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the reality is that it's a really good justification story, uh, maximizing shareholder value. Um, and they are maximizing shareholder value, right? Because they charge so much and they oh, get yeah. paid, and they get paid so much. And uh, because all of them are like that, yeah. uh, it, it's not. I, I've not yet met somebody who said they love their cable company. Oh, I, I, and, and I don't hear about anybody loving, but I hear a lot of people saying that they hate their cable company. That's right. But if if nobody loves them, it means that the competition is they're all the same, right? So it's not as if you can move to a loved company. Um, so so I think it's tough. The, the other thing I have to say, kind of in defense of the cable companies. Is that we only see Oh, don't you they... dare. You'll make oh, a yeah. lot of enemies. No one will be buying your book if you defend the cable companies. That's fine. Let me, let me, let me in, <laughs> in the spirit of being uh, <laughs> truthful. Um, I think it's one of those things that we see when they make mistakes, and we don't see them when they're doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, so, yes, 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 of course. Why, so so why? When, you're, when your cable just runs smoothly, mm-hmm. you know, lots of, th- lots of amazing technologies at your service. Right, they mm-hmm. uh, they they send you programs. They do all kinds of things. They get it on time, uh, quickly. They, uh, they, they it's not as if it's if it's free, right? They mm-hmm. put a lot of effort into it. Their infrastructure is really quite impressive. They do all kinds of things, but you don't see that. And the only place you see it is when something goes wrong. And and partially is that they don't tell you how much work they do for you. Right. Okay, so, all right, all right. They're, they're loving you right about now. We're going to get them to advertise on Talk with Francesca. <laughs> Very good. Um, Dan, let's talk a little bit about white-collar crime. You know, I, I, I always get a big kick out of that one. You know, it's like stealing stuff from the office and that kind of thing. And, you know, what? it's it's an amazing, it's just amazing how people think that, you know, they can cheat on their taxes, but they're totally dishonest, but they would never, you know, not uh, if the girl at the cash register gave them back 
um, too much money, they would give it right back to them. You know, so yeah. it's sort of, there's sort of an interesting, I- entirely different dynamic that goes on there. I'd love to um, hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So we've done lots of uh, experiments on dishonesty, and the, the basic way that we uh, measure dishonesty is the following. We give people a sheet of paper with 20 simple math problems, and we say, solve as many of those as you can in five minutes, and we'll give you a dollar per question. So we said, go, and people start working as fast as they can. At the end of the five minutes, we say, stop, please put the pencil down, and tell us, sorry, put the pencil down and count how many questions you got correctly. And now that you count how many questions you got correctly and you know the answer, take your sheet of paper, go to the back of the room and shred it. And people shred a piece of paper. And then we say, now come back to the front of the room, tell us how many questions you got correctly and we'll pay you accordingly. So people do that. Mm -hmm. um, And they say on average they solve six problems and we pay them $6. But what the people in the experiment don't know is that we played with the shredder. So the shredder only shreds the sides of the page, but the main body of the page remains intact, <laughs> and we can find out... <laughs> Who's how, lying? <laughs> well, yeah, that's right, but it's for science. Oh. <laughs> so, so we can find out how many questions they really solve correctly. And, and what we find is that on average, people really solve four problems, but they report to be solving six. Now, why would that be? Okay, so the first question is to say... Where is it coming from? Is it coming from a few big cheaters? No, it's coming from a ton of little cheaters. We tested, you know, close to 40,000 people so far, and we found only about 20 big cheaters, and they stole maybe $500 from us. And we found tens of thousands of little cheaters that stole about $60,000 from us. So, So the reality is that And there's so many little cheaters. And again, it's just like you said, Mm -hmm. people cheat a little bit on their taxes and so on. (laughs) And those things really make uh, the difference in terms of um, dishonesty. Now, why why is it? What about business? What about um, expense reports, right? Oh, expense report, an amazing celebration of dishonesty. Oh, 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 yeah. You know, it's sort of like the the, uh, boss says to the guy, hey, give me back your um, expense report and have it right this time. What do you mean? It's, 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 uh, it's, right, you know? (laughs) Expense expense reports are amazing. And and they're amazing because they allow us to pay tricks on ourselves. And, you know, there's lots of flexibility in expense reports. So you're on a business trip, and oh, yeah. you meet somebody in a bar, and you buy them a glass of wine. Oh, but we did talk about the radio show for five minutes, so we can, you know, it's a, it's a business expense, right? Yeah, that's is right. That, that's right. <laughs> is that really dishonest, though, or is that just... It, it is really dishonest. Oh, damn. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> so, so, so the thing is, what we find is that it's all about our ability to rationalize. Oh, That as long absolutely. as you can tell yourself a story... about why this is actually okay. So what what you don't want to do is you don't want to think of yourself as a bad person. You don't want to think of yourself as a dishonest person. Right, because you're either all all good or all not, right? That's right. That's right. So we we think of ourselves in binary terms. So as long Mm -hmm. as you can behave badly but still think of yourself as a good person, you'll go ahead and do it. So if you can say things like everybody else is doing it, this is what the tax people really intended, um, this is actually for the best of the company, actually got good advice from that person. I mean, as long as you can tell a story, you'll go ahead and do it. So in our experiments, 
we find the same thing. We find that if people think that everybody else is doing it, or if they think that they're stealing from a bad entity, mm-hmm. or if they think that they have been harmed before and it's unfair, and by doing that they're kind of restoring justice, or if they don't know who they're hurting, or all of those things basically help justifying bad behavior, and therefore people behave worse. Oh, gosh. I'm here. I've got so many questions coming through. It's crazy. Um, Jim from Swampscott would like to know, why can't I stay on my diet at night? I'm fine during the day, but after 9 p.m., it seems like all bets are off. Well, I have that problem too, Jim. Yeah, so this is uh, what's called depletion. Yeah. And depletion is the notion that as we exercise self-control, as we try to resist temptation, so the world is tempting, right? That's not news. And the world is designed to tempt us. If you think about it, the goal of every... Almost every entity outside in the world is uh, trying to tempt you, right? Uh, Dunkin' Donuts wants you to buy another donut today. Facebook wants you to sign another time to Facebook today. All the things around us uh, want us to do something for them in the short term, right? The only organization that might care about our long-term well-being is maybe our significant others, Mm -hmm. maybe insurance, Uh, maybe preventative care, but of course we don't have preventative care. But mostly it's really about the the world is trying to tempt us to do things that are good for other parties in the world. And the question is what, how able are we to fight? Not, we're not very good at fighting it. Um, And depletion is the notion that as we fight temptation, it becomes harder and harder for us. Yes. Um, it's like a muscle. No that wonder. We, that's why probably so many people go off their diets, right? That's right. And that's what, what happens at night. Is basically through the day, you resist temptation. So you resist a muffin. And then you resist something, a cake. And then you resist sending your boss a nasty email. And then you resist and resist and resist. And every time you resist, really good for you. But at the, at the same time, you've also decreased your ability to fight temptation later. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that as you accumulate all of this ability to resist, you're also reducing your ability to fight later. And at night, Mm -hmm. it's a really amazing time for people to basically fail. And one glass of wine and, you know, really all bets are off, right? My listeners know my cracker story. They're probably so sick of hearing it. But, you know, I find that, you know, I'm going to be good. I'm really going to be good. And then I'll just have a couple of crackers. I don't know why, but inevitably I end up eating the whole damn sleeve. Drives me crazy, you know? Yeah, and that's, and that's another thing. This is kind of a slippery slope, right? Yeah. That basically, uh, so, and there are two things. One is that um, the moment you taste something, mm-hmm. uh, it actually increases your craving for oh, it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so then so the, don't even think about just having one bite of that cupcake, right? Right, and yeah. that's, by the way, why, why some things are a little easier than others. So, for example, stopping smoking is very, very tough. Mm-hmm. But in some sense, it's easier than dieting because you're either a smoker or a non-smoker. You know where you stand. That's right. And you've where made dieting, a, a, in a conscious decision, a real, yeah. you know, right? Yeah. Whereas dieting is really a, like it's always about the next forkful. It's really unclear at what no. page your diet. I'll tell you what I did um, for dieting. I, I travel a lot. And when traveling, it's really tough to eat well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so so I, made, I made two rules. For myself, and uh, the the first rule is that I don't eat dessert unless it's the weekend, right? And it's basically not about eating more, eating less. It's just that's that's the rule. And the second thing that that helped uh, a little. Oh, the second rule is I don't drink any soft drinks. Right. Zero ever, right? And that that's an easy rule. Yeah. To have. Yeah, it is. yeah, I think so. 
And then the other rule I, I created is that when I travel, I don't eat bread. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so yeah, that's a, that's a killer. And I don't, uh, I don't have any kind of a problem with bread, or, and I, I love bread. But the thing is that uh, sandwiches are kind of interesting because it is so easy to eat them very quickly. And when you're in airports, uh, mm, the, right. the, the temptation to eat to eat badly and to eat uh, sandwiches is just very, very high. Um, so I basically have this rule for myself, and by having it as a strict rule, I don't, I don't question myself. It's a little easier, mm-hmm. and also it doesn't deplete me. Why? Because there's lots of things I just don't consider. So it's not as if I think about them and... and say, oh, do I want this, do I not want that, and then I, I, I deplete my ability to resist temptation. I just don't consider them because it's part of my rule. Hey, guys, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talk with Francesca, and I'm speaking with Dan Arley, who was a professor of psychology at Duke University. This is also fascinating, and these listeners aren't giving me a chance to ask uh, <laughs> the questions that I, I want to ask. What I want to know is cheating contagious? <laughs> yes. Is it? Very sadly, very sadly, it is. Yeah. Yes, and, and, why is and that? the reason, and the reason is because uh, we follow other people. We follow other and people exactly. So what happens is if you see somebody misbehaving, and mm-hmm. um, all of a sudden you think it's more appropriate, and you can, yeah, this happens when people throwing trash on the ground, and it happens with all kinds of things and all kinds of bad behaviors. Mm-hmm. That's that's basically what what happens, and it's 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 really really sad. Uh, Dan, I, I've got a, a question about um, making purchases. Um, you know, where you're so involved in behavioral economics. What are some questions we could ask ourselves when we're making purchases? Um, I know I just bought a blender the other day, and it was you know real high end blender. And then I was reading your book last night, and it occurred to me, and I was like, wait a minute. You know, I got it on sale, but why do I need to spend such, so much money on a blender to begin with? And yeah. so, you know, I, I really was kind of fascinated with that thought process. I mean, it, it's a great blender. You know, it is not a, you know, Kmart blender or whatever. But but still, I thought, do I, did I really need to spend that much money on it? And I... I uh, yeah. So, so here's the. And thing. I said so, yes, <laughs> but I, I do a lot with my blender. I mean, I make smoothies, yeah. I make soups. You know, I do a That's, lot. So you yeah, know. And, and by the way, the, the answer to should I buy something is not always no. Sometimes you should buy something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would say that there. Are, uh, look, money is all about opportunity cost. Every time you spend money on one thing, it it's coming up from something else. And that something else could come from something else you could buy right now, or come from your savings. And I think we need to think more deliberatively about what we're giving up, right? So if you look at yourself and you say, you know what, um, at the rate I'm going right now, I'm not going to retire uh, at, the, at the level that I wished I would. So if I buy something now, what am I not going to, to get? <laughs> and, oh, good question. And that thing that you're going, not going to get might be now, might be later, but the reality is that decisions about money are always trade-offs. But we need to bring the trade-off more front to center. So imagine every day you woke up and I gave you cash to spend just for the day. Right? Your trade-offs will become very clear for you. If you buy coffee, you can't take the bus. If you take a cab, you can't have dinner and so on. The problem with modern money, money where we have credit cards and mm-hmm. mortgages and student loans and so on, is that it's really hard for us to understand the trade-offs. If you go ahead and spend another $1,000 on a blender, mm-hmm. 
I know you didn't spend a thought about this. Where is it coming from? It's really hard for you to imagine. But, but nevertheless, even though it's hard for us to imagine, uh, we do need to, to go through some of that exercise. And I don't think we can go through this exercise in a full way, in an ideal way, but at least we need to do a slightly better job on thinking about where the money is coming from. So if you bought this blender, you should think to yourself, you know, what, what else could you spend money on? And is really this the best way to spend money? I love my new blender. Very good. Andrea from Milford wants to know, what about karma? Do you think it has any bearing on what people do? Uh, karma? Karma. I'm, I'm a big believer in karma. Um, now, okay, now, but that's your belief system, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. then again, she wants to know, so go. Yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead. But, but I'll, I'll tell you what, what, what karma, I think, is. I think that uh, karma is about the fact that you're willing to do things for the world, and you recognize that sometimes it would come back to you and sometimes not. And, and uh, so, so karma is the law of cause and effect, and it's basically saying there's some randomness in the world, but if you would behave in a better way, um, good things might come out for you. And I think it's about, um, you know, we have lots of research showing that there are lucky people and unlucky people. And, and the way luck works is that it's not that some people go to Vegas and win more money and other people don't consistently. That's not the luck. There are some people who try more things. Like think about two people playing basketball. Mm-hmm. One is shooting a lot. One is shooting very infrequently. Right? The guy shoots a lot. From time to time, things would happen to them. Yeah. So if you're, if you're an open person and you try lots of things and you meet lots of people and you try lots of things and you try new adventure, there's a good chance that some more good things would happen to you because from time to time, you will discover things mm-hmm. you really like and meet really wonderful people and so on. And I think karma is like that. Karma is basically about being open to the world and saying, it's my responsibility to do good. And sometimes it will work out and sometimes it would not. But if you do more of that, mm-hmm. there's an odd that good things would happen back. Well, you know, that, that's, uh, this is great timing here because Mary from Plymouth would like to know, do you really think that talk therapy ever helps anyone really? So, so there are some evidence for very specific ones. So what's called behavioral cognitive therapy, for example, mm-hmm, works. Right. And uh, things like de- desensitization, where people have a phobia for cockroaches or something specific. Um, so those things very work, uh, work very well. I think the, the more open-ended question is, you know, is, is spending time on the sofa talking about your mother and your uh, upbringing, is that helpful? And I think um, the evidence on that is not is not there. <laughs> well, uh, but but that's I think pretty that, dated. I would say that type of talk, yeah. But I think right? there's lots there's lots of <laughs> very specific things that are helpful that you could basically say. Here is something that my mind is just not doing correctly, and let me try and 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 do it again. And there's also recent very interesting work recently on mindfulness. Not not my mm-hmm. research, but. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're showing, for example, that even drug addicts, heroin addicts, um, if they can train themselves to think about the drug in different ways, mm-hmm. they have an easier time to resist temptation. So, so I think there are, you know, our mind is, an orga- is, is a mechanism that uh, reinterprets the world. And the question is, how do we help it reinterpret the world in, in a way that is more conducive to long-term happiness? And I think there are some things we can do about it. Oh, Dan, we just have so many questions, but so little time. We've got to wrap things up. Um, so I just, I, I, how can my listeners get a hold of you? Or You have a Wall Street Journal column, is that right? 
I have a Wall Street Journal column every other weekend. I give advice. It's called Ask Ariely. I have a website, uh, com. So my name, Dan Ariely. And I have uh, information and lectures and people can read stuff. And um, Fantastic. Yep. And you're on our recommended reading page. Your book is fantastic. Predictably Irrational. I love it. And The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. Thanks so much for being with us today. My here pleasure. Francesca. All right. We've got to wrap things up. Thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming. Write to me and let me know what's on your mind. Got to go. See you later. Make it a fantastic week. If you're anything like me, your dog is no different than your child. That's why when I need to be somewhere that I can't take my little guy, I bring him to the Playful Pack in Ipswich. There isn't a thing that the Playful Pack doesn't provide to give your furry friend a great day of socializing. They even separate the small dogs from the big. What a relief that was for me. My little guy has a big personality, but he is still only 20 pounds, so I feel so much more comfortable with him playing with kids his own size. And at any time, I can open up the Playful Pack's webcam and see exactly what he's doing. Now, that's maintaining control. Your pet will exercise, play, and rest in a safe, clean, and comfortable environment. So it's kind of a no-brainer whether you want to take your dog when you're not around. Visit theplayfulpack.com or call 978-356-3698 today. You'll be glad you did. Hi, I'm Donna McGovern, and I'm a real estate agent working in the Remax on the River office in the beautiful coastal town of Newburyport. I enjoy working with clients on the North Shore and in the Merrimack Valley areas. One of my specialties is I have an eco-broker certification, meaning I have a deep interest in protecting our environment and in energy efficiencies and cost-saving ideas. Buying and selling a home I know is an investment of which one must take seriously, but I also think it's important to have fun along the way. i found that the most successful transactions have been based on mutual trust and respect between all involved parties. I hope you take the time to give me a call so we can set up an appointment to meet and I can provide some information on how to have a positive and successful home buying and home selling experience. The number to reach me is 978-992-4535. That's 978-992-4535. If I were your real estate agent, you'd be home now.